Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is week four in a message series called Recalculating. And if you've been here for weeks one through three, you've heard us talking a little bit about what it feels like to get lost. Uh, you guys who are younger have had to do a little right brain imagining because you grew up in a world where GPS is ubiquitous and everybody always has a device that has them chipped and tied to a satellite system of geosynchronous orbit that always knows where you are. I didn't grow up in that world. Many of us older folks didn't grow up in that world. When we wanted to get somewhere, we had to write directions down on a napkin or a piece of paper or on our hand. So uh, when that happens, you can make wrong turns. You can end up getting lost. And if you have GPS, it's a, it's a, it's a sen sensation you, maybe you've never experienced, but it's not a lot of fun to be lost. Once in a while, it's fun if you're trying to get lost and you want to go explore someplace new. But generally speaking, uh, being lost is not, not a real fun uh, state of being. And we've been talking for the last few weeks about what happens when we get lost financially. When you started here and you wanted to go here, but you ended up out here somewhere. And that's where some of us are today. You're way out here somewhere. You have way more debt than you ever wanted to have in your life. You've got way less saved than you wanted to have saved by now. There's pressure mounting. We've had a few, we've had a few uh, laughs together about what happens when you get lost in your car. Uh, apparently about 10 to 20% of you just pull the car over and cry. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But, like, that's a lot less funny when it happens to you financially, when you get lost financially, now cut to a scene of you, and some of you have been there. You're at the kitchen table, and you get your head down in your hands, and there are tears streaming down your face, and there's a calculator and a legal pad and a stack of bills, and, and you're frustrated and you're crying because the math doesn't work, because there's always too much month left at the end of the money. So you're struggling and you can't make it work and now you're, you're lost and you're, you're asking yourself, how did I get here? How did I end up here? We've been, for the last three weeks, examining two assumptions, two wrong turns that people make that cause them to get lost. Those two wrong turns are, it's all for me and it's all for right now. It's all for me and it's all for right now. Those two assumptions will get you lost. And this may be news to you if you're new. This might be new information to you if you're new. But if you, for all of us, some of what you have was meant for others. Some of what you have was meant to be a blessing to other people. And some of what you have now was meant for you later in life. So if you're spending everything on you and spending it all in the right now, it's just a matter of time before you end up lost. What, we're want, what I want to do this morning is I want to examine the dynamic that fuels those two wrong turns. There's a force, a centrifugal force behind those two wrong turns that we all struggle with. It's called discontentment. We all struggle with discontentment. It's the idea that our life as it currently exists is simply not satisfactory. That we don't have enough to make us happy. So there's always more. And by the way... There is a multi-billion dollar a year industry whose sole purpose is to make you discontent. 
The advertising industry is set on making you discontent. Every time you see an advertisement, there's a lot of people who put a lot of thought into making you say, yeah, I need one of those. Dang, I think I might need two of those, and I need it now. Like, that's what the advertising industry does. So, and I'm not saying the advertising industry is bad. They're making money just the same as everybody else. But for you and I, who, are, who struggle sometimes with discontentment, like, this can be problematic, and I know whereof I speak. I've been talking to you guys in clear terms. I hope I've been clear on this, just in case you missed it, though. I struggle with materialism just as much as you. I live in the same world. I've got the same issues, the same struggles, like samesies here. Okay, yeah? Okay? Like, I'm in this with you. And I struggle with discontentment. Now, I, I don't, there's a lot of things, you know, I don't, <coughs> I don't, um, I, I struggle with materialism as much as the next guy, but, like, I, I Lately, there's been a point upon which I've been struggling, and it's just like, a, it's personal to me, but my vehicle. I love my car. I love what I drive. I have, a, I have a vehicle, but it's a little more than 10 years old. It's got like 120,000 miles on it, and my goal is to put another 100,000 on it. I want to drive this thing into the ground. Anybody like that with their car? Like, I'm just going to keep this thing. Watch me fix it. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to ride this thing till it's done. But in 10 years... A lot of new stuff has come out on cars. There's a lot of new features. There's a lot of new things. So once in a while, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, once in a while I like rent a car or I get in somebody else's new car and I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and all of a sudden my car is a piece of garbage. Like all of a sudden, like yesterday my car was perfectly fine. And it was doing the job and getting me where it needed to go. But now, whoa, no, no, now, what just happened? My discontentment has been stirred up. It's the same car. I'm different. Now I'm stirred up and I'm thinking, oh, man, yeah, I, I really need one of those. I should have a car with that on it. I should have a, I should have a this or I should have a that. And that's, <coughs> that's dangerous for me. Do you know why? Because I have credit. My credit is actually pretty good. You know what that means? That means I can walk onto almost any car lot on Long Island. No one's going to sell me like a, you know, a Lamborghini or a Bentley or one of these cars that costs as much as a house. Like I'm, no one's going to sell me a supercar. But like within reason, even among premium brands, I can walk onto kind of like any car lot on Long Island today and like by dinner time have a car in my driveway, the payment for which is way over my head. The payment for which is going gonna, is gonna to stress me out. The payment for which is going to have me at my kitchen table with my head down because the math doesn't work because my discontentment won the day. All I really need is a pen. It's all I need. A pen, and I can get way over my head with one impulse, with one stirring of my discontentment. And some of you know just what that's like. We struggle with discontentment. There's always a more thing. I'm also learning this. <clears throat> I'm learning this lesson with regard to food. And some of you already learned this lesson. Just bear with your pastor. I'm a little slow on the uptake on this, okay? But, like, <clears throat> I... Um, I'm terrible at math. It's not funny, I'm just bad at math. But I have a remarkable ability to calculate how many people are in the room versus how many slices there are in six pizzas and to know exactly how much pizza I'm getting when somebody walks in the room with pizza. I can do that math fast. Pizza math. 
If we're out to lunch and we're having pizza, and here's the other thing. I can be, if we're out to lunch and I'm having pizza, I'll be finishing my third slice before you finished your first. I'm in it and I'm eating it fast. You know why? Because it's all for me and it's all for right now. Because to me, more, every once in a while says, oh, you know, less is more. Oh, less isn't more, more is more. <laughs> I want more pizza. More, is, more feels better, you know. And, and what I'm learning is when I operate like that, I don't even really taste it. I'm not savoring it. I'm not even really enjoying it. I'm just wolfing it down as fast as I can because there's an impulse in me saying more, more, more. And what I'm learning, I know you learned this already, but I'm, it's dawning on me slow. I can actually enjoy one slice or a slice and a half more than I enjoy three if I savor it and I'm thankful and I love it. You understand? There's an impulse in all of us. And the, the, the problem is, we're talking about, when it comes to materialism and our stuff, we're dealing with an appetite. An appetite is never fully and finally satisfied. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. They come back. So on Thanksgiving Day, you had a big meal. You ate and you ate and you ate and you couldn't look at another bite of food. What happened to you on Friday night at dinner time? Did you eat again? Sure you did. Friday night at dinner, you didn't go, oh, I couldn't possibly. I ate yesterday. You, you, you ate again. You were full on Thursday, but the appetite came back. That's true of your appetite for food. It's true of your sexual appetite. It's true of your appetite for stuff. These appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. So what do you do if you don't want an appetite to get out of control? If your appetites are ruining you, if discontentment is forcing you into a centrifugal, like a, a, a forced turn into, it's all for me and it's all for right now, how do you get a handle on that? Well, what happens when you feed an appetite? It gets bigger, doesn't it? You eat big for three weeks in a row. On day 22, you're going to want to eat big again. But if you get it under control and you start actually enjoying things more, and this is where people get all goofed up with, the, with regard to the biblical teaching on this stuff. When the scriptures talk about how we handle our money, everyone braces themselves for this scolding message. Everyone braces themselves for somebody to say, you guys, you're having too much fun. You gotta stop having so much fun and give some money to the poor. You're spending it all on yourself and you're having too much, oh, okay, I guess we gotta stop having so much fun. That's not what the scriptures say. What the scriptures actually say are, you guys aren't having any fun. You're not having any fun at all. You're wolfing it down. You're not grateful. You're not thankful. You're not letting, you're not letting thankfulness come up in you. When was the last time you were thankful for the place you live? Really thankful for your house. Really thankful for your apartment or condo or bedroom or wherever it is you live. When was the last time you just were, th you're not thankful for that. You get it, you, you come home every day and you say, oh, that's where I live. What if you came home and you were like, this is so great. I'm so glad that I live here. I'm so glad I have this place. Not everybody has a place like this. I'm going to enjoy it. What if every time I got in my car, I was like, I am so glad to have this. I'm so grateful that I have a car. Not everybody has a car to drive. And I have a, a, a nice car, and it's great, and I love it, right? What if I was overflowing with thankfulness for what I have? I could still appreciate the new car that I rent or the new car that I ride in, and say, wow, this is really nice, but it wouldn't chew me up. Do you understand the difference? 
Do you get this? Your discontentment is fueled by these things. But if, but, but if we can get out ahead of it with gratitude, it cuts discontentment off at the knees. The Apostle Paul had a young disciple named Timothy. And Timothy was like his, his, his uh, kind of like his spiritual son. And Timothy was also a pastor. So when Paul writes to Timothy, he's trying to encourage him as a, as a friend, but he's also trying to help him lead his church. And when the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, this is what he writes. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Yet, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. When Nelson Rockefeller died, he was the richest man on the planet, and it wasn't even close. He was the richest man on planet Earth. And there were Journalists at every major newspaper who were tasked with writing his obituary. And this one particular journalist had like a couple of assistants who were helping him gather data on Rockefeller so he could write the obituary. And he said to one of his assistants, how much did he leave behind? And the assistant didn't even look up from his notepad. He just said, all of it. He left all of it behind. Now here's, there's two parts to this teaching. One part you've absorbed, and the other you might not have. The part you've absorbed, I think, is this. We have a limited amount of time on this planet with which to do good and bless other people. We've been kind of hammering that pretty hard, right? We've been talking about that. You and I have a limited window of time on this planet during which we get to process oxygen, live our lives, and be a blessing to others. To honor God and to play the part that God gave us to play in his amazing story. It's a limited window during which we get to leverage what we have to bless others. You've heard that. The part you maybe haven't internalized is this. You also have a very limited window of time during which you get to enjoy your life. To enjoy the blessings that God gave you. To enjoy the many things that God brought your way. And for many of us, we're just not. We're not enjoying what God gave us. We're just wolfing it down and wolfing it down and more, more, more. And we're not thankful. We're not, we're not overflowing. We're not having any fun. Which is ironic because it's just more, more, more and all, all appetite. And there's no joy in it. Paul continues. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Some of you have heard a disambiguation of that verse. Some of you have heard a misquoting of that verse. You've heard, money is the root of all evil. It's not what the Bible says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's really hard for me because I love money. Anybody else love money? Yeah. Oh, am I the only one? Really? <laughs> Shut up. I'm not the only one. I live in the same world you do. I love money just as much as you. So how do we swim upstream against this? What do we do if we have an appetite that longs for more, if we have a material, and this, 
<clears throat> this appetite is always going to be with you. You're always going to have it. It's just a matter of whether you've got it under control and you're enjoying what's happening or whether the appetite owns you. And it's more, more, more constantly. What Paul is saying to Timothy is there are people, with an, with people for whom their appetite for more has gotten so out of control they have pierced themselves with many sorrows and wandered from faith. It's just all about how much they can have and, and, and how much they can consume and how much they can cram down their gullet and they're not having any fun. They're not enjoying anything. They're not enjoying any of what I gave them because they're just constantly focused on what they don't have. He continues. Teach those, teach them, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world, and that's you and me, team. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need. Why? For our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So that you and I might experience true life. That's the biblical teaching. You're not experiencing true life. You're not enjoying it. You're not, you're not savoring any of what God gave you. It's just you're moving so fast. And, and, and the deal is you, you, you've been bracing yourself for this scolding message of you're not giving enough away. You're, not, you, you're, you're spending too much on you. You're out there having way too much fun. Stop having so much fun and give some money to the poor. That's kind of what you've been bracing yourself for. And the scripture just once again hits us with this curveball, this sucker punch you don't see coming. No, the scripture, if we're being scolded, it's because we're not having enough fun. We're not, God gives us all we need for our enjoyment, but we're not enjoying anything. We're just wolfing down more and more and more so that they may experience true life, Timothy. That's what I want for my people. That's what God wants for you, for you to experience true life. You're not experiencing true life when you're just consuming as fast as you can, when it's all for you and it's all for right now. You're missing out on some of the best parts of life if that's how you're living. Forgive me, but respectfully, you're lost if that's you. You're missing out on all the good stuff. So what do we do? How do we correct? How do we course correct? I'm hoping this is making sense to you. Like as I look out, once, as, once in a while I look out over the audience and I see thought bubbles above your head like a comic book and I wonder what all of you are thinking. And I'm hoping as I look out over the room, I'm just hoping there's a bunch of you here like this makes total sense. I'm hoping there's a bunch of you out there just like that, he's right, like this makes total sense, the Bible is correct in what it says, this, is, this rings true, it's obvious. So, so what do I do? What we need to do is to do something we're already doing, but do it on purpose. So my homework for you, if you want a course correct, you want to get out ahead of discontentment, you want to short circuit the all for me, all for right now treadmill, 
What we need to do is do something we're already doing, but start doing it on purpose, and it's a big difference. So I'm going to ask you to do something with intention, with focus, and on purpose. I'm going to ask you, with intention, with focus, and on purpose, to give away a percentage of your income. To give away a percentage of your income. The good news is, you're already doing that. You're giving away a percentage of your income. Some of you are giving away 0%. Zero is a percent. You're giving away a percent of your income. All I'm asking you to do is do it on purpose. So if zero is your percentage, that's okay, but own it. If zero is your percentage, that's okay, own it. Say, I give away nothing, it's all for me. That's you, you do you. I'm not mad at you, I think you're crazy, but I'm not mad at you. That's you, you could do that. You have a constitutional right to do that. Lots of people live in that way. I give away nothing, it's all for me. That's you, that's okay. But most of us are gonna say, well, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right. Uh, obviously, I wanna, I wanna bless others. It makes sense. Let's, let's start talking about this, yeah? So what percentage of your, let's talk about this. What is the average American giveaway? The average American person. Not church going, not Christian, just the average adult American human. Gives away about 2% of their income. Most people live on 98% of their income. They give 2% away. And that would be to, uh, <coughs> you know, to um, American Cancer Society, uh, various charities or things, disaster relief, things that touch a person's life. 2% of the income generally goes out the door. Now, what is the average Christian giveaway in terms of percentages, the average church-going person? The answer is about 2.5% to 3%. That's the answer. So the truth is, most of us are doing pretty much just what most people are doing, which is to say, for many people, their faith doesn't really affect their generosity. So you know, so let's, come on, let's talk turkey, yeah? Can we talk, like, math? You know and I know, I could sit up here for, for like, you know, days on end and talk about tithing and, and giving away a tenth and all that. Our church does that, I do that. But, like, you know and I know, that's probably not realistic for most of us. So, if this is you... And you're sitting here, well, first of all, I've said this before. If you're sitting here and you're like, nah, I don't buy it. I, don't, I, I think this guy's shady. I think he has ulterior motives. Then your homework is to go give the money away somewhere else. You go find someplace you do love and, and support, you know, that, that organization. But for us, if, let me say it differently. If True North is your home church, I want to encourage you to support your church. Like, it may not have occurred to you. It probably doesn't occur to you. But, like, we have a monthly nut to cover that would blow your mind. <laughs> Like, we don't own this building, we lease it, all the lights, all the equipment, all the stuff, we have a payroll to meet, like, it's a lot. So if True North is your, if you don't know me, you don't trust me, you go give the money away somewhere else, but if True North is your church, I want to encourage you to support it. If everybody in this congregation took 3% of their income and said, we're going to give this away, it would radically change our ability to do what we do. We could hire the staff we need, we could buy land, we could buy a building, like, it'd be, it'd be incredible. But for you and I, this isn't really about the good that comes from the giving. This is about what we experience. So here's what happens. If you decide, I'm going to give away 3% of my income, or 4 or whatever the percentage may be. I'd love for you to swing for the fences, trust God. I just know, like, you know, traditionally speaking, if I keep doing this, there's not a lot of result from it. And that's true. I mean, pastors are realizing this. The scripture calls us to that. But what if you started at 3 
and said, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to do the math. I'm going to set it and forget it. I'm going to automate it. I'm going to say, this is what I make in a year. I'm going to go 0.03 times that with a calculator. Gives me my number. I'm going to divide that number by 12 and give that much away each month so that by the end of the year, 3% of my income has gone out the door. What that's going to do for you is this. When you walk in this place on Sunday morning, you're going to go, I'm helping this place do what it does. I'm helping this place keep its doors open. And, wh and when, you, when you honor God and you put God first, Everything, everything downstream of it happens too. We support Love 146. We support Send Musicians to Prison. We support uh, people in need all over Long Island and all over different parts of the world. Great things. There's like a cascading effect, a domino effect that happens. Beautiful stuff happens. And even better for you, it short circuits. It cuts out discontentment at the knees, and you will start enjoying what you have so much more. You'll stop looking with such, such desire and longing upon that third slice of whatever it is you're after. To be more content with what you have, to, to, to love and savor the many blessings that God gave you, and to play the part he gave you in his amazing story, to not walk the earth ever consuming and ever empty, to not walk the earth just all for me, all for right now. You're going to love the way that feels, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Nobody, nobody in 28 years of ministry has ever come up to me and said, you know, I started giving, and it was the worst thing I ever did. <laughs> nobody has ever come up to me and gone, I couldn't wait to get back to spending it all on myself. You're going to love how it feels to honor God and be generous. That's my prayer for myself as I struggle with these things. That's my prayer for you as you struggle with these things. It's my hope that together, as a congregation and as, as brothers and sisters, we will experience the true life that God calls us to and wants for us. I want that for me. I want that for all of you. And with that, I will close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful. Grateful for the opportunity to hear from your scriptures, from your word. Grateful for the opportunity to be challenged a little bit, to have our worldview poked at a little bit. And Father, we all have appetites and we all want more and there's all stuff that we love. But Father, if we're walking the earth and we're not enjoying any of it and there's no gratitude and there's no zeal, then Father, we're missing out on all this, the good stuff you promised us. So we're praying. I'm praying for me and I'm praying for all of us here. Help us be wise enough to give for our own sake, Father, that we might enjoy more what you've provided for us and be propelled into thankfulness more, be propelled into praising you more, to cut discontentment out at the knees. Give us courage enough to step out in faith and trust you in this. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.